Imagine the decision that your loved one faces between the care of her child, economic security, her job, and her own care. Nobody should have to be put in that position where financial stability is weighed against the health of family. Welcome to Voices of Victors, a podcast that asks thought-provoking questions, cultivates culturally relevant dialogue, and reveals truths about our shared human experience through discussions with diverse members of the University of Michigan community, ranging from alumni and faculty to students and staff. This podcast is brought to you by the Alumni Association of the University of Michigan. I'm your host, James McRae. I'm a 1997 alum of the University of Michigan, and I've been with the Alumni Association for over 20 years, working in various roles, including student engagement and Camp Michigania. Now, I'm excited to welcome you on this podcast journey. Our theme for Season 2 of Voices of Victors is diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. From examining the inequities of climate change and paid family leave to discussing authentic allyship, we'll be sharing stories and hearing from experts from the U of M community. On today's episode, we discuss a lack of paid family leave in the United States and the economic disparity this causes women, particularly women of color. Paid parental leave has been a hot discussion topic lately, given President Biden's Build Back Better legislation, which currently includes four weeks of paid parental leave. While the Senate has yet to vote on this legislation, for comparison, out of 195 countries in the world, over 120 countries require paid parental leave starting with a minimum of about 20 weeks, and many cover up to a full year according to the International Labor Organization. Policies vary by country, but most include both maternity and paternity leave. The U.S. is one of the few countries worldwide and the only advanced economy without mandated paid parental leave for workers. This lack of support hits women, women of color, and low-wage workers the hardest. As it stands in the U.S. today, according to the National Partnership for Women and Families, 85% of American workers do not have access to paid parental leave. In addition, people of color face income disparities rooted in systemic, structural racism, and a lack of mandated leave exacerbates this. 43% of Black workers and 25% of Latinx workers have access to paid parental leave, compared with 50% of white workers, according to a study by the Center for American Progress. Altogether, this lack of support results in both health and economic disparities. We know it's not cheap to raise a child in the U.S. either, and staying home to care for children doesn't pay the bills. According to a recent U.S. government study, the cost of raising a child to the age of 17 is about $230,000 after adjusting for inflation, a 40% increase since the 1940s. Many Americans simply cannot afford to forego joining the workforce in order to raise children. But paid parental leave works. Data shows that it helps prevent poverty and food insecurity, increases economic stability by improving employee retention rates, and increases both mental and physical wellness of both the newborn and parental workers by allowing more bonding and healing time. On today's episode, we discuss why paid parental leave is so important to both the health of the American families as well as our economy, how a lack of mandated paid leave disproportionately impacts women and women of color, and why, as a culture, we should even care. Let's get started by introducing today's first guest. We're excited to be speaking with Tiffany Mara, a proud graduate of the University of Michigan. She earned her master's in 1998 and her Ph.D. in 2006. 
She's been working at U of M for 20 years now, and she's been the executive director at the Center for the Education of Women Plus for over five years. Her work has largely focused on supporting marginalized populations at the university and among various fields, particularly women in STEM. Welcome, Tiffany. That's completely an honor as a proud alumna to be a part of the Voices of Victors uh, podcast today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. This is a, a pretty big topic with many facets, and we're not going to be able to cover it all today. But let's start with this. Why is paid parental leave so important, particularly for women, women of color, as well as low-income families? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and of course, there, like you pointed out, there are many facets to the challenge. Um, the one that helps me to understand the challenge the best is by looking at how wealth is distributed in the United States. Um, so the Federal Reserve estimates that accumulated wealth of women is 45% less than men, or to put it in monetary value, it's 55 cents for every dollar of accumulated wealth. On top of that, white households have much higher average wealth than households of color. On average, white households have $171,000 in wealth in comparison to black and Hispanic households with an average of less than $22,000 in wealth, nearly $150,000 in accumulated wealth. This is relevant to the discussion of paid parental leave because currently maternity leave is mandated only under the Family and Medical Leave Act, which only 59% of the workforce is eligible for and provides 12 weeks of unpaid job protected leave after the birth of a child or adoption. Because it's unpaid, job protected maternity leave comes down to financial stability, making unpaid leave truly only accessible to those who can qualify and can afford to take leave. Women of color are less likely to be eligible for FMLA coverage and are less likely to have accumulated wealth to be able to take unpaid leave. Within households that can afford to utilize FMLA to take unpaid leave, women are much more likely than men to actually take leave after childbirth or adoption, reducing overall women's economic stability in the workforce as a result of unpaid time away from her job. The lack of parental paid leave in the United States reinforces disparities for women and perpetuates economic and health inequities by race. For those who are able to take unpaid leave, there's an economic impact and lost wages. For those that cannot afford to take leave, both the health of the mother and child are at greater risk. That's a long-winded way of saying job paid parental leave is critical for ensuring that all mothers regardless of race, income level, job type, or marital status, are able to take leave to care for themselves and their child when it's most critical. So, so you touched on women of color. Can you tell us how this is also a racial equity issue? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a major racial equity issue that reinforces current social, economic, and health inequities by race, gender, education, and marital status. Health inequities by race are well-documented and are exacerbated by a lack of paid job-protected parental leave. Maternal morbidity and pregnancy complications have consistently remained higher for Black, Hispanic, and Asian Pacific Islanders when compared to white women. Black women are three times more likely to die of pregnancy-related complications than white women, and infant mortality rates are double for Black infants in comparison to white infants. Paid job-protected leave could help decrease these trends by providing the time needed to ensure that people of color and those of low income can get the care they need without jeopardizing their economic security. Wow. So paid parental leave doesn't seem to be top of mind for a lot of people, for those who don't plan to be parents, uh, for those who are financially well off or who just may simply think that it doesn't impact them. As a culture, why should we collectively care? 
Yeah. So I think, um, you know, rather than talking about it from a societal perspective, so I'm going to punt on this one. Um, I think it's for individuals, but I will get to it. I think it's easier for individuals to understand this at a, this at a personal level. You know, whether it's a mother, a sister, cousin, daughter, friend, or coworker, imagine a female in your life that you care about. I'm going to pause for a second so that listeners can truly visualize the person they've selected. Now imagine that person becomes pregnant, but is in a lower paying position that doesn't offer MLA coverage or paid leave through the employer. At 30 weeks, she's diagnosed with pregnancy complications that are putting the baby at risk, and it's recommended that she goes on bed rest to protect her health and the health of her child. Imagine the decision that your loved one faces between the care of her child, economic security, her job, and her own care. Nobody should have to be put in that position where financial stability is weighed against the health of family. Paid family and medical leave would ensure that your loved one can make a decision that makes sense and not one driven by finances. And I think when we can think about it on that personal level, when people can imagine people in their lives, it becomes easier to see why this is so important as a part of the culture and climate within the United States. Speaking of the United States, the culture and climate here, the U.S. is the lone advanced economy that does not mandate paid family leave. As we've seen with the COVID pandemic, lack of structural support burdens women the most, impacting their careers, removing them from the job market, and creating an uneven playing field. How would a nationwide paid parental leave policy help bring increased gender equity to the workforce? You know, based on best practices from other countries that do have paid parental leave, uh, the most effective paid parental leave includes antenatal care, uh, job protection, and a high percentage of income replacement, especially for those in lower income positions. The job protection and income replacement would reduce the impact of women's future job prospects and income, making the workforce more equitable, especially by race, marital status, education level, and income. Additionally, in some countries, paid parental leave has increased the time men take off to bond with their children. If men were to take advantage of paid parental leave, it could reduce gender norm expectations about caregiver responsibilities, which could create greater gender equity in the workplace. Men's participation in paid parental leave could also possibly reduce employer bias in hiring women who are in their 20s and 30s. It's striking that birth is such a physically demanding athletic and medical event. And yet, once the baby is born, culturally in the U.S., focus seems to shift exclusively to the baby while neglecting care, support, and attention for the postpartum mother. Also, the U.S. is the only high-income country where the maternal mortality rate is rising. Why is postpartum support so important, and how would paid family leave help to alleviate some of the many stressors for new moms in particular? Yeah, I can talk a little bit from my own experience here. Um, so I gave birth 12 years ago uh, and have a wonderful kid, but the physical and emotional challenges that come after childbirth are great. Um, there are all sorts of complications that could be you know, mitigated by wellness visits, postpartum wellness visits. Um, but unfortunately, without paid leave, it becomes hard for all mothers to be able to take advantage of postpartum wellness. Um, and so those uh, potential afterbirth complications can lead to really serious side effects. Um, you know, paid parental leave would give women time to heal, to attend to postpartum wellness visits, to breastfeed, um, which is something that women who don't have paid leave don't really engage in for the length of period that's recommended by the CDC, which is six months. And they could seek care if they have postpartum depression or anxiety. 
um, all of these things that could be positive outcomes from paid leave all lead to better outcomes for the child as well. Well, thank you for sharing your personal story there. That I think, like you said, that helps put things into perspective for people. Um, so opponents say that we cannot have profitable companies and have parental leave. How do we change this mindset overall so that we are looking at workers holistically? Does this mindset need to go beyond just policy? I think so. You know, uh, we have this weird culture where um, people are seen as commodities. And that's really unfortunate. And commodities for the workplace, um, they're expected when they're in education to be 100% students, which just isn't real, realistic. We all have lives outside of work and educational realms where we are family members, where we're caretakers, where we do things within our religious life or with our volunteerism that make an impact on society. And if workplaces could recognize the value of employees beyond the workplace, it might lead to better work-life balance which will overall help with people's feeling of inclusion within the workplace. But because we are so commodity-based, um, it becomes difficult to see that perspective. And policies can't you know, reinforce work-life balance. They can do their best, but it's really a workplace that demonstrates work-life balance, where emails aren't sent after 5 p.m., where people are able to leave and take time with their family that's uh, truly for their family, where they're not constantly worried about work where they feel like they have a secure income coming in, that people can really have the balance in, in what they do in their home lives and at work. So it goes well beyond policy, but to an entire culture and normative behavior related to work. So well beyond policy, let's talk economics. I've come to believe that paid leave provides great economic benefits to businesses and the labor market, but it's rarely discussed. What is the economic case for paid leave and why is this so misunderstood? Yeah, from my perspective, um, there are a couple ways to do it. One is through a map, uh, which would include how much it costs to replace a person from the, who leaves the workplace. Um, and then the other is based on job satisfaction. And so for job satisfaction, um, there's plenty of data out there that shows that companies that offer paid leave, um, the people who take paid leave are, become more attached to the workplace um, you know, there's less health expense because the parents are taking preventative care. Um, and there's also increasing likelihood that the person will return to work. And even beyond just returning to work, they're more likely to return at a higher number of hours per week by about 15%. All of that leads to better outcomes. Now, if you think about it, I'm a math dork. So if you think about it from a math perspective, I mean, from my own experience, it costs a company or an employer about half to two times a person's salary to replace an individual. So 12 weeks of a person's salary paid is much less than the cost it takes to replace a person in the hiring process and in the onboarding process. So I can't think of any better reasons than that. Your escape from the everyday chaos of life awaits in picturesque northern Michigan at the Alumni Association's Camp Michigania. Open to all alums, Michigania offers dozens of activities for Wolverines of all ages. Whether you experience this unique up north adventure with your family, friends, or the community of Wolverines you meet at camp, don't miss a chance to unplug, make memories, and be a kid again. Visit alumni.umich.edu slash book now to book your spot today. Before the break, Tiffany Mara was discussing the economic value of paid parental leave. Let's hear from another guest, University of Michigan alum Andrea Robb, 
a 1996 graduate who has worked in HR at companies like Airbnb, Lucasfilm, and Autodesk, among others. She shares a bit about how parental leave fits into the bigger picture of creating a healthy economy and labor market while also improving businesses' bottom line. This whole idea of there's sort of a zero-sum game in our parental leave policies is, is a challenge and, a, and really a myth. So the idea of short-term and long-term really needs to be balanced when we think about parental leave, not only within the private sector, but also in the public sector. We need to think globally around the U.S. economy actually will benefit over the long run if we can really offer more people choice and pragmatic freedom of how do I build my family life in such a way that I don't have to choose between my job and caring for my family. So it, there was an S&P Global study that had shared that, you know, if U.S. paid family leave policy were more generous and moved from zero to even just some paid leave, we could start to see an increase in our overall economy because we're accessing more labor. And when we leave labor out, this is a problem for our economy. And if you really create one model for what it looks like to work, and traditionally that has been men who are going to work and leaving their family at home, that actually leaves out a wide swath of potential laborers, and that hurts the overall economy in general. So it's really important to think about this holistically, almost like an economist and if all companies thought about it that way, that it's really access to more labor, then we can think about growth and not a zero-sum game when it comes to parental leave and business bottom line results. Right now, it's no secret in America, we're very polarized around our positions we take about whether or not paid family leave, for example, should be something that business supports or whether public policy should support or the private family should support and pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And I think one of the real challenges is we, we sit in our positions and we look for data that confirms our thinking. So business leaders are often thinking about what are the short-term business results we need to achieve in order to show up every quarter with growth on our balance sheet. Um, and that is a very short-term view, and it's an important view. So we need to balance that with the idea of what does the economic policy look like to increase the labor pool, increase knowledge workers who are available to companies to grow. And when we limit paid family leave to just women, we actually cut out a, a really important sort of piece of the puzzle, which is let families decide who goes to work, who stays home. And really, they don't have to choose between our family and working. We can really start to see this as an abundance sort of equation versus a short term, we have to shell out dollars for benefits for our workers, which we can't really do right now because we have to show short term growth. So I think that it's really important to step back and say, what can we do in the long term to increase retention? Retention really improves the bottom line. And when you give paid family leave, you have less churn. People are more loyal to you. 
Um, you have more families having more choice to stick with your job and, and this company. So I think that it's really important to think about long and short-term views and how that influences the data we look at. Um, the data we look at really needs to look at the long-term benefits versus the short-term benefits. So here's where I'm going to talk about another balance of tension. So when we think about increased parental leaves that are becoming a little bit more of the norm in the private practice, and we start to wonder, okay, big picture, what is that doing? There's, there's sort of two things you're balancing, and Silicon Valley led in this way. They're balancing the great talent war. So Everybody in Silicon Valley, Airbnb included, where I worked, are really struggling with this idea of how do we compete for the best talent? And so part of that's compensation, benefits, all sorts of things that you could offer. And initially back in you know the early 2000s and moving into 2016, what we were seeing is these were young workforces. So the benefits reflected that. Um, they reflected bringing your dogs to work, food, so you didn't have to cook at home, um, a lot of vacation policy. And really, it was very easy to see as, you know, I was a little bit older in the workforce when I entered in at Airbnb. It was easy to see that soon parental leave was going to become part of the equation for the workers. So what they were balancing was, we want to compete with the workforce that is looking for some of these modern conveniences and benefits. But Airbnb also had really strong values and a purpose around belonging. And so really, it was Nate Plecharczyk, one of our founders who became a parent himself, and really understood, hey, we need to really expand what belonging means at Airbnb to all parents. So they really bucked the notion that women are the ones who should be at home for the extended parental leave. And they expanded the leave to be more about, okay, how do we help you in your life and really ensure that you feel connected as a human being uh, first and foremost, instead of coming back to work as soon as you can. And this being one of the hardest fought times for you to, to stay in your job. So both women and men benefited from this. So we had a transitional period where women would be able to come back and men and work 80% of the time and get 100% of pay so that that transition back is one that's celebrated and one in which we can protect for families instead of watching people struggle to just make it work. And so really what it changed was the sense of celebration around parenthood, a sense of this is a phase of your life and we want to make sure that you feel like you belong here, not only as a worker, but as a new newly found parent who needs to balance quite a bit. The last thing I'd leave your listeners to think about is how do we look at the dance between employers and employees and really understand a balance in power? So for a long time, companies have really decided what do you get, where you get it, where you work, on what terms you're working. And I think that the pandemic, Black Lives Matter movement has really created the conditions for us to rethink what work looks like. It really invites more to the table and balances what does the company need and what do people need in their lives. And I think that we're in a moment with the great resignation um, 
to think about it really as a great rebalancing of power that workers have taken back some power and thought, what do I want for my life? Where do I need to work? How do I need to work? And how can I get my best work done? And if we can think about the balancing of what do employees need and what do companies need and that we're accountable to those things together and we balance the polarities that used to sort of exist between the company and the employees, we're in a much better position to create a modern economy for workers to succeed. So I think that that is a really important thing to think about. It's not the great resignation, it's the great reassessment about what matters to people. And companies can accommodate that if they're smart and they'll win in the end because more people will want to work with them. Um, And right now, when there's a talent war going on, particularly in Silicon Valley, why wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't you want to balance the needs of your company and the needs of your people so that you win in the long run? Now, let's return to our conversation with Tiffany Mara. Tiffany, let's discuss a hypothetical scenario. There's no paid parental leave. You're living paycheck to paycheck and rely on both mom and dad's income to pay the rent and buy food once the baby is born. The baby needs a caregiver and mom needs healing. There's no universal child care coverage for newborns or toddlers in the U.S. Who is expected to watch the child? Who eventually runs the corporations if we devalue the family unit so much? This is really a tough question to answer Um, because this this family, um, which unfortunately happens too much in the United States, they don't have any real good options. Um, They're income instable. Um, They're balancing poverty and health. And that's weighted against the family's best interest to do what's in the what's in the best interest of the mom, the infant and economic security. That's a tough balance to weigh. Uh, You're. Your example, it really demonstrates the stratified nature of our society and how it leads to racial inequality. And, um, you know, eventually, to your point, who's going to run corporations? It's going to continue to be men. Um, It's going to continue to be white men. Um, And, uh, you know, that's that's the predictable outcome. It'll continue to lead to um, increases in maternal morbidity. Um, all things that, you know, can be assisted if we did have a national mandated paid parental leave policy. So then how does lack of paid parental leave impact women in the workforce now? If working moms decide to quit in order to care for their children rather than spend their salary on childcare, doesn't this cause a long-term staffing pipeline issue for business owners who stand to lose valuable talent? Yeah. um, You know, I think we are at an interesting point in history right now to be able to answer this question. We have evidence as a result of the COVID pandemic that when people have to leave the workforce to care for others, whether it's because of the birth of a new child or somebody gets ill, women are the ones who are going to leave the workforce, especially women of color. What that leads to is what we're dealing with now. And we have staffing shortages. We have ridiculous amounts of uh, inflation in our economy right now uh, because of the loss of women and women of color in the workforce. And I can't imagine any listener not feeling the impacts of that and what it means to our economy, to our society, to our ability to function, to have the supplies that we need, and to feel secure. Um, We are right now at, at a point where that question couldn't be even more relevant. Well, speaking of our listeners, what can they do to support paid family leave initiatives? Do they contact their reps, vote? What more can we do? Yeah, it's, um, you know, that's an interesting question. 
Um, when I think about um, some, some very simple acts that can make a huge difference, um, I think about how when a person announces the birth of a child in the workplace, um, how that's received um, and how people respond to that news. Um, you know, if it's celebrated, then it seems as if the workplace is celebrating the birth of a child. If it feels like a loss to the corporation and that's the tone of the response, that also sends a very clear message. What each of us can do within our workplace is to celebrate the birth of a child, especially if a man decides to take care of his wife and child and takes time off of work, whether paid or unpaid, to celebrate that. Because you know that that decision weighed on that individual because of gendered roles and expectations in our society. So simple things. A woman announces she's pregnant. The father announces he's taking leave. Take joy in that. Celebrate that joy with that couple. And that'll help reinforce better cultural norms and workplace expectations that, you know, individually we can have a difference on. But, you know, culturally, it's just a really tough, tough thing to break, um, especially gender norms. Additionally, you know, companies have control over the policies that they make for their employees. Um, if you um, are comfortable, talk to your employer. Um, currently, only 19% of workers have paid leave offered through their employer. Talk to your employer and encourage them to consider paid leave. Um, that's another way to do it at a, at a more local level. If you're in a union, um, talk to your union and advocate for paid parental leave. Um, unions have a lot of power. And, um, you know, when they make it a priority, companies will listen. Um, additionally, of course, states can enact paid family leave. Currently, there are eight states in Washington, D.C. that have uh, paid parental uh, laws in place that are mandated. So contacting your representatives at the local, state, and national level can help. Um, and of note, in November, a paid family and medical leave policy was passed by the House as a part of the Build Back Better bill. Listeners could contact their senators and encourage them to support paid family and medical leave whether included in the Build Back Better bill or through separate legislation. All of those things can make a huge impact um, in just normalizing what it means to take leave. And then in the long term, hopefully creating a more gender equitable workplace where caring for our families, where work-life balance is just a little bit more healthy. Tiffany, thank you very much. You've been helpful, informative, and uh, hopefully we can uh, make things a little better. Thanks, James, for having me today. While we've been speaking about paid parental leave at a national level, let's hear a little bit about the University of Michigan's own parental leave policy, which was updated in 2018. We spoke with Lori Pierce, Vice Provost for Academic and Faculty Affairs at U of M, who co-chaired the Parental Leave Advisory Committee that recommended the benefits for the updated policy. We are very uh, happy to talk about the new childbirth and parental leave policies because this is time that is paid time off. So for new mothers who are delivering, they have up to six weeks of paid time off leave for recovering from childbirth and for parental leave for bonding with a child, either a child that's just uh, been born or parents who are newly adoptive uh, parents or newly fostered children or a child for whom legal guardianship has been appointed. There is now time up to six weeks of paid time off for parents to be able to bond with their children. So with respect to the changes that were made by the University of Michigan in our paid parental leave policy in 2018 to make it more inclusive, you have to remember that University of Michigan, we already had a very generous benefits package that could be used to assist new parents. 
we have a lot of measures that we already had in place in our benefits package, but we did not have a specific and separate leave for childbirth, paid time off for childbirth and for parental leave. We felt very strong. We on the committee who made the recommendations felt very strongly that childbirth, you shouldn't have to use sick leave because you're not sick. And women should not be disadvantaged for having to use sick leave for that, because if they then have an event that they need extended time off, they need to have that time protected. Um, and so the time was right to, to move this forward. There was a emerging national dialogue, which continues to be highly discussed, um, a significant part of uh, President Biden's Build Back Better Act that he's trying to move forward. Um, we had a lot of internal people in the university um, who were frequently discussing this, faculty and staff. Um, this has been an issue throughout academia, and I am just so proud that the University of Michigan created this policy. Um, it's very strong evidence, uh, just further evidence of the university's support uh, for its employees, for its faculty and staff. So who does the policy apply to and how was um, our policy established? So it applies to all three campuses of the University of Michigan. That, of course, includes Michigan Medicine. It includes all of our faculty, um, our campus and medical school staff that have at least a 20% appointment. And we pick that part so it's consistent with the other leads that we have. You have to have a 20% appointment. Uh, Michigan Medicine staff who are on a paid time off plan who have at least a 50% appointment and our postdoctoral fellow. So it's very inclusive, which is exactly... Uh, what we wanted it to be. With regard to how it was established, I, I love to tell the story. So the Parental Leave Advisory Committee, we were charged to provide recommendations uh, to the executive vice president and the president regarding would a separate and extended parental leave be more appropriate policy than the current sick leave policies that we had in our benefit package. So at that time, Ms. Loretta Thomas, who was the Associate Vice President for Human Resources, David Lamb, who was the director of ISR and also a professor at LSNA, and I, we were appointed to be co-leads of the committee. And so we had a committee and we met throughout the fall of 2017 and we issued our recommendations in early 2018. And the policy was approved in July of 2018 and it was implemented. We started it in September of 2018. And I have to tell you that um, this policy was embraced by the university leadership um, all the way from start to finish. And it has been embraced by faculty and staff. We have received so many expressions of gratitude from faculty and staff. And then I'll also say that our standing in academia really rose when these policies uh, were put in place. And they provide significant advantages for us in terms of recruitment of faculty and staff and retention of our faculty and staff. So um, no matter how you look at it, this is a huge win-win for the University of Michigan. Thank you to our guests, Tiffany Mara, Lori Pierce, and Andrea Robb, and to you, our listeners. University of Michigan alumni are making a difference all over the world, and we want to continue telling their stories. Are you a member of the Alumni Association? If you haven't already, we invite you to join today. Visit our website to stay connected at alumni.umich.edu. Also, don't forget to give this podcast a rating or review and hit the follow button so you don't miss the next episode. Until next time, go blue.